want to invite you all to pray with me. Let's go to our God that we worship this morning. And let's pray. God, we recognize you as a very good and a very great God. We recognize you this morning as the one and only God, the creator of this universe, who has called us to live lives that are holy, and though we have fallen, though we have sinned, you have been patient with us. God, you, your, your grace blows our minds that you would save a wretch like me and call us into your service, and call us into your church, into your community, into your body. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your gift of salvation to us through the blood of Christ that was shed for the remission of our sins. And we worship you this morning. We thank you for the assurance of our forgiveness that we find in the scriptures, that there is no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, we, we want to be used as your tools, as your vessels for service. We want to be used here in this, uh, in this room this morning as we sing songs, as we fellowship with each other, as we listen, as we share. We want your spirit to move in our hearts and to do the work that we can't do for each other and for ourselves, and that's change us. We ask that your spirit changes us this morning. For those in our community, in our church, who are drifting, who are wandering, God, this morning I ask that you grab a hold of their hearts and look into their eyes and pull them back to your face. For those who are seeking to remain faithful, God, I ask that you encourage them, th them this morning. That they walk out of here strengthened. For those who are lost, I ask that you save them this morning, that you open their eyes to the gospel, to their need for a savior, and that they repent, and that they believe in Jesus. And God, we don't pray this just for our church, but we pray this for other churches in the city, churches that are preaching the gospel this morning. I think of Mana Bible Church, I think of the Village Church, Metanoia Church, God, I ask that your gospel goes forward in every local church this morning and that it's heard, that it's powerful, and that it changes hearts. God, we want to see revival sweep through our city. We want to see revival sweep through the churches in our city. New life, renewal. We want to see this community fall in love with you as their Savior. God, as the gospel goes out today, I pray that it will reach many and that it will slay many. That the flesh will be cut. And that the Spirit will give new life. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to sing again that chorus one more time, can't we? Let's stand as we sing one, one last chorus.
At this time, the sprouts can be dismissed. Children, kindergarten and younger can go with Megan and Paul in the back. And I want to invite everyone else to grab your Bible, uh, open it up and turn to the book of uh, the Psalms. This is the, uh, at the very center of your Bible. You're going to find it. If you're new to the Scriptures, just open up the Bible in the middle and you'll hit the Psalms and go to the very first chapter. Um, if you need a Bible, there's a couple Bibles in the back, and uh, you can feel free to walk back and grab a Bible um, if you need a Bible this morning. I do encourage you to follow along. Psalm chapter 1, and I'm going to read as we begin, I'm going to read the first two verses once again of Psalm chapter 1 as we dive deeper into the truth that we find here in this amazing psalm. Follow along as I read. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. I want to ask you to pray again with me. God, I ask that you just open up our eyes to this passage that... Uh, as, we, as we come into this, we recognize that uh, even one word in, in the Scriptures has the power to, to transform us. Uh, we, we, we recognize the great weight that these words carry, and uh, at the same time, we recognize our own flesh and our inability, our distractions, the many things that can get in the way from uh, our spirit receiving what your spirit has for us. And so I ask that you remove the distractions this morning, um, and that you help us to focus on this text. And I pray that you will take these words and that they will become alive in our hearts and that we truly will be able to delight in you and understand what that means for us today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said? Amen. It makes me happy, quote unquote. Everybody say it. It makes me happy. All right, say it this way. But it makes me happy. All right, how, how many times have you used that phrase to justify an action? Say it again. But it makes me happy. Does it feel kind of familiar to, to your heart? How many times have we used that phrase? Or maybe we can broaden it. How many times have you heard someone use that phrase to justify an action, as if being happy or self-actualized or fulfilled or satisfied is a justification for whatever we, we, we feel like doing, no matter its consequences, no matter the destruction that it might bring to yourself or to others or 
to the testimony of the gospel of Christ. Hey, if it makes you happy, who am I to judge, right? Is that not the response our culture takes? I mean, if, if, if this makes you happy, if you're fulfilled, if, if, if it feels like this is right for you, who, who, am, I to, who am I to say otherwise? We're, this is our second week in the first two verses of Psalm chapter 1. And what we're realizing is that happiness is actually nothing like we thought it, thought it was. Uh, as the word that went out last week, Psalm chapters, chapter 1 verses 1 and 2, as it's sort of been reverberating in the hearts of God's people here in, in this church, one of the reoccurring conversations that I've been having with folks over and over in house communities and one-on-one is, is this. It's, it's that happiness needs to be redefined. Everybody say amen to that, all right? Even if you don't be- agree with me, say it anyway. Hopefully by the end of the sermon you will agree with me. Happiness needs to be redefined. Let me just quickly tell you the conversations, a, a recap and why, why I would say that. We have uh, diminished happiness to uh, feelings. Happiness is synonymous with the way that I currently feel. So if I feel like elation, if I feel this rush or this high, then we call that happiness. Now, it gets scarier than that, all right? While we have diminished happiness to feelings, we've actually elevated happiness at the same time to our guiding tool for just about every decision in life. I'm not happy. I'm not happy anymore with this, so I'm going to find happiness elsewhere. I'm not happy with this person, so I'm going to find some. I'm not happy with this job, so I'm going to move to another job. I'm not happy with this city, so I'm going to move to Philadelphia. So if we're, if we're not happy, so if our feelings then are not like on par with where we think they should be or where we want them to be, if, we're not, if we don't have these, these emotions of elation and this, these endorphins being released in the brain, then what that is is a, a determinative factor for us saying, I'm going to do something else. This isn't giving me the desired response that I want inside of my brain. Now, I think happiness needs to be redefined. I mean, that's not real, true happiness, is it? I mean, these these feelings, these emotions of elation, it's just a whim. It's It's just endorphins being released in your brain. It's a high. But it's not like real, solid satisfaction and joy and happiness that goes far beyond circumstances in life, and I would add far beyond this life period. This morning what we're searching for is true happiness, the definition for true happiness, where it is, where it comes from. Happiness needs to be redefined. How do we know this? We see this over and over again in the lives of individuals. 
individuals who are, going back to the illustration we used last week, trying to catch that bubble. The bubble looks so nice, and as soon as they catch the bubble, it's gone. There's this, there's this moment of elation, this moment of joy and excitement, and this high that comes with that, but it's not long before your soul comes to a halt. And you find that the happiness you were seeking in this thing is not actually there. And now you must move on to the next bubble, if you would. The next thing. The next high. The next excitement. Charles Spurgeon, he said this. He said, man must have some delight. Some supreme, everybody say supreme, some supreme pleasure. His heart, he says, was never meant to be a vacuum. If not filled with the best things, it will be filled with the unworthy and disappointing things. What's he saying? He's saying that, that we are, we crave that which is supreme. Like our hearts were designed to be filled with some sort of supreme pleasure. And if we don't fill it with that which is supreme, then we fill it with that which is not supreme. Everybody tracking here? And you are left ultimately unsatisfied. Going on to the next thing that is ultimately unsupreme, not the best. Real happiness, then, we can say, is found in that which is supreme. And if we can all agree that God is supreme, so there is nothing out there that's more supreme or better than God, then we can say that real happiness, true happiness, is found only in God. It's found nowhere else than, other than searching for the face and the glory of God. Because he alone is supreme. But here's the reality. Uh, as long as man, humans, man, men and women, as long as we are in the flesh, as long as we are in these bodies which are broken and sinful and corrupt. We will always seek pleasure in the flesh. We will always buy the lie that, that it's not actually God that can fulfill us. It's not actually seeking his face and his instruction and living it out in his way and the gospel and Christ. It's, not, it's none of those things. It's actually something fleshly that we need a desire that we have, another, th another material thing, another girlfriend, another job, another city. It's, it's something fleshly that can be attained. That's actually what we need to be happy. As long as we're in the flesh, we're going to be seeking happiness outside of God. It's, it's our temptation. It's our daily wake-up battle, struggle against the flesh. 
And so that as long as we are in existence and as long as I live my life, I could essentially preach this sermon and it would never become stale. And I'll say this, I think I will. I will preach this message that only in Christ can you find that which is satisfying until the day that I die. And I pray that God will give me the perseverance to continue preaching that and believing that in my own heart. And I pray the same for you. So let's get into the text this morning, Psalm chapter 1. We're looking specifically at verse 2. Last week we looked at what the blessed man, the, the godly man, the happy man, we looked at what he doesn't do. This week we're actually looking at what he should do, what he does do. Psalm chapter 1, verse 2. But his delight, so his referring to the godly man, if you remember last week, Psalm 1 is, is in, in many ways this uh, simple picture of the broader narrative, the broader story that we find in the scriptures, and that is simply this, that there are two types of people, the godly and the ungodly, the righteous and the unrighteous. And so here he's saying that the godly man, the righteous man, or the, the happy man, as he's called in verse 1, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. On his law he meditates day and night. Now, I want you to notice the contradiction that that is with everything that you hear in, uh, in our culture today. Maybe everything you've ever known about happiness. How this contrasts with our, our definition and our understanding and our view of what it means to be happy and satisfied and fulfilled people couple things that it does not say, and you might jot notes of this. Um, it does not say that his delight is in escaping his problems. His delight is in escaping his problems. It doesn't say that. But oh, how we long to escape our problems. Amen? This past Friday, two days ago, I was... Uh, in the depths of my soul, just dark, gross, down. My mom would have called me a lump on the log. That's her terminology. I was down. I, the, the weight of uh, issues and problems um, in lives of people that, that are around me, just, I was sunk. I was like just in here, just felt like I was dark and blah, depressed. Sitting next to my wife. I take Fridays off, by the way. This is how I spend my day off. So we're sitting there on the couch and uh, my wife shows me this music video from uh, 1975 of Glenn Campbell. Uh, rhinestone Cowboy. You ever <laughs> heard that song? <laughs> oh, if you want a good laugh, go to YouTube. Type in Rhinestone Cowboy and watch the official video from 1975. It's classic. Dude walking down like this dusty road, 
wearing the cowboy white linen, cowboy hat, sleeves. I mean, like the kind of guy that I would like to, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Leans up against the trees. He's singing this song. And then he's riding this white horse, singing the song. And this is what I, this is what I thought as I'm watching this, all right? I thought, man, I want to I do that. I want to like, I want to live on a ranch. I want to have a white horse. I want to wear white cowboy linens and live this easy rhinestone cowboy life, right? And here's the embarrassing thing. I actually voiced that to my wife, <laughs> all right? You, you guys gotta have to understand, like, humility has got to be so huge for the preacher to even voice these things publicly. I wanted to be the rhinestone cowboy. It seemed like an easier life in the mo- at the moment. I was like, man, this guy's got it good, just walking down a dusty road, riding a horse. And I voiced that to my wife, and she was like, this was, this was her response. She said, Joel, you have to remember your text that you're going to be preaching from on Sunday. <laughs> Your delight is not in escaping the problems. It's not in running away. It's not in trying to find a better life somewhere else. These ideas that we come up with, as crazy as they are, your delight is somewhere else. It doesn't say his delight is in escaping. It also doesn't say this. The blessed man, the happy man, his delight is in an abundance of possessions. If I had money to pay rent this month, I would be happy, you might say. And then I might say, no, you wouldn't, because you have to pay rent the following month. You might be happy for a couple days. And then you might come back and say, well, if I had this overflowing, just constant, this abundance of cash pouring into my pockets, then I would be happy. An abundance of possessions, an abundance of things, just everything I need, all needs met. And then I would say, like we talked about last week, no, you wouldn't. You would just be like Solomon, who has everything. He's had every kind of house, money, career, women, everything. He's, he's got it all on an abundance. And then he responds in a place of depression. He responds, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money in the book of Ecclesiastes. An abundance of possessions doesn't make us happy. That's not where the godly man goes. He also doesn't say this. Number three, his delight is in perfect circumstances. We typically define happiness as either an abundance of possessions or perfect circumstances or maybe some kind of Mixture of the two. If I could just go one month without getting a parking ticket. If I could just go one month and have like a normal BG&E bill. Not overspend. Not have problems with my family members or people get mad at me. If I could go one month and not have problems with my job. Like if I could just have, just, a, just a, a, for a time, if I could just have perfect circumstances. Like everything just comes together for me in my life perfectly, then I would be happy. There's no happiness 
in perfect circumstances. No real happiness there. A real happiness, a true happiness goes beyond circumstances. The godly man here that's being described in Psalm 1 has found a delight. He's found a happiness far beyond the problems. The last thing, fourth, what it does not say, it does not say that his delight is in good feelings. The godly man's delight is in good feelings. Let's be very clear. I want to be crystal clear on this. True happiness, the kind of happiness that we find in Christ and in the Scriptures, true happiness does not mean that you will never have another day of depression in your life. It does not mean that you will always feel good about things, that your brain will always think right and feel right. I mean, as a matter of fact, the examples that we receive from the Scriptures as we're seeing the Scriptures unfold and the story of God played out in real lives, the examples that we, that we receive show the opposite. Even for David, who's writing this psalm, all throughout the psalms, it's like he's, he writes things like, oh, God, my soul is so heavy, I'm so weary, I'm so dark. My soul is crying out. At one point he says, my soul is in, in the midst of lions. How long will I be down? Paul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he's, he's taken to the third heavens. He has like this, this, the elation, if you would, of experiencing the third heavens. And he hears things which he writes I heard unspeakable joys. Like, it was phenomenal. I can't even begin to express the things that I heard. And then he follows that up with, I've been given this thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to mess with me, to tempt me. True happiness does not mean that we always feel good, that things are always good in our life, that we're living every day as if it's a Friday and that we're smiling all the time. That's not true happiness. So what is, what is true happiness? Where does the godly man go? And, and before we go there, let me, I want you just to think with me. I wonder where you are going. If you were to answer this question, I wonder where you are going for satisfaction. I wonder where you're going to find fulfillment. I wonder where you're going to find happiness, to find joy. Where do you seek these things? All right, Psalm 1, 2, the godly man, his delight, this is where he goes. Check it out. His delight is in, what does it say? The law of the Lord, the scriptures, the revealed word of God, the Bible. I mean, I want you guys to think about what this is saying, all right? This is, this, this so contrasts what, the way we typically think. His delight is in the scriptures. So this is, this is like um, your friend comes up to you and, and he's like, bro, you look down, you look like you've had a rough week, you look like you've been rolled over by a, a, a semi 
let's go out and let's, let's have fun. Let's, let's go get some drinks. Let's get some ladies. Or maybe let's just hang out. Let's watch a movie. Let's, let's do things that, that make us happy. Let's just, let's just relax and have a good time. And you respond, no, my delight is in the Bible. Like the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, the Psalms, drinking from the Psalms, the Proverbs, the wisdom that we find there, reading about the coming Messiah in Isaiah, reading about the Messiah here in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the letters to the churches in Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians. Like, that's actually where I go uh, to, to delight myself. That's where my happiness is. When I need to find a happy place, it's not Rita's. It's the Bible. This is what it's saying. You realize how crazy this is? His delight, the godly man, the happy man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. This word law is a general word. Um, it's uh, referring to the Torah, the first five books, but it's also referring to all of the revealed word of God. In the Psalms, David often uses the, the, the words law of the Lord to refer to God's general revelation of himself through the written word. Psalm 19, David says this, the law of the Lord is perfect. It's reviving the soul so that the godly man is, he's delighted. He, he, he actually finds happiness in the instruction of the Lord. When he's sitting there reading the Bible, learning what to do, that's where he finds most pleasure. That's where he finds most happiness. It's where he's most delighted in the Bible. I don't know if any of you have ever had a mentor, but I have. And I can resonate with, with many young dudes or girls who find a mentor and uh, all of a sudden it's, it's, it's as if like the lights turn on. Like this person has life together. This person knows what they're talking about, they know me, they can see through me, they know what's best for me. And you can think of no greater pleasure than to, than to sit for an hour on Saturday morning with your mentor telling you what to do. It's like the most pleasurable thing you can imagine because you know that you've, you've found, a, in a sense, the way of life. I wanna learn now, I wanna learn what that's, what that's like. It'd be, imagine you're a wristwatch, all right? It's not something you think of often. Imagine you're a wristwatch, and you're told, your entire life you're told that you're a, you need to act like a hammer. You need to take, your, take the watch, you need, to be, you need to be pounding nails in. Is a rich wristwatch happy pounding nails? Is a wristwatch satisfied and fulfilled pounding? Of course not. And oh, the happiness of the wristwatch that realizes that it was created to tell time. It was created to move these arms and sit on somebody's watch and tell time. Oh, the happiness of the human being who discovers life, the way that we were meant to live, the way of life, 
I mean, if, if we were truly meant then to live for the glory of God and to bring glory to God, when we begin to discover what that looks like in our lives, what it looks like to live all of our lives for the glory and for the namesake and to make God famous, it's like a wristwatch discovering its purpose. And we can think of nothing better, nothing more exciting, nothing more fulfilling and satisfying than to, than to sit under the instruction of the word which has revealed to us the way of God and the way that we were meant to live as human, as human beings. God then, I want you to hear this, God is after your joy, not after your begrudge and submission. He's after your heart, your fulfillment, your satisfaction. This isn't a dictator just telling us what to do. This is a God who loves you very much and has created you to act in a certain way, to respond in a certain way, to live your life in a certain way, and he wants your joy, not simply obeying because you have to. So what, is, what does the godly man do then? His delight, it says, is where? A little quiz there. In the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So there's two times you are to be in the scriptures as a Christian. Day and night. That's it, all right? Come on, give me a laugh, somebody. Ha-ha! <laughs> I'm just trying to find a way to sneak in a sip of coffee. Think with me. All right. Many people miss out. Many people are unfulfilled in life because they don't read the Word. They don't read the Bible. However, many folks who read the Bible are missing out because they don't meditate on the Bible. They merely read it. They merely read it. Look, the scriptures were not just meant to be read as any other book, just intellectually processed and dealt with and try to figure out what matches and try to figure out bullet points and arguments. The scriptures are, are bread for our souls. It's, it's our food. It's not merely meant to be read, but it's meant to be nourished. You're, I mean, your soul is like hungry and needs it. It's the bread for your soul. It's the nourishment. It's the food. So the scriptures that are meant to be meditated on, we read them so that we can bring them in to our soul and allow our soul to just feed on the scriptures and digest the scriptures and grow and become healthy. The godly man meditates. He allows his soul to feed on the scriptures day and night. I never personally struggled with depression until about six years ago or so when I had a an emotional and physical breakdown, and I was 
as low as I think anybody uh, can possibly get. Let me say this. I never knew what it meant to meditate and to feed on the Word until about the same time. Because when I, had, when I was overwhelmed with such sadness, I was overwhelmed with such, th- th- this heavy fog of like melancholy. I had nothing else. Like no, I, I was with my sister and we were looking at Christmas lights and she was enjoying the lights and I was like, they're just lights. They're just a bunch of little bulbs. You seriously, you're enjoying that? I was so low, like nothing made me, nothing put a smile on my face anymore. And all I had, what I found was all I had was the law of the Lord, the word of God, his instruction. And I would look forward to every morning and every afternoon and every night. I would take as much time as I could to just get in here and to to read it and to allow allow my soul to, to eat and to feed and to digest the word. And I would find myself just meditating on it throughout the day and then throughout the night. The, the picture that we're getting here of this, this man, this, this godly man, this man that's, that's happy, that's blessed, he's someone who is meditating on the word all of the time. So the point is this. The happy man enjoys the Bible constantly. We constantly enjoy submitting ourselves to our Lord and Savior and to his way and to his will for us. Let me give you some practical things to sink your teeth into. Number one, do this habitually. Make a habit of it. I mean, think about it. We make habits of meditating on a lot of different things. Like, just, just, just pause for a moment. Ask yourself, what do I regularly meditate on? I mean, you do meditate on things day and night. You do realize that, right? Problems at work, maybe. Something you're happy about. What do you meditate on day and night? You've, you've, you've built a habit within yourself of doing so. Make it, make it habitual. Be deliberate. Discipline your mind. Discipline your heart to think not about the problems and to, and to constantly be turning back to what you know in the Scriptures, the truth of the Scriptures, what you read that morning. I mean, read the Bible. All right, so that's number two. Make it deliberate. Make it habitual and make it deliberate. You've got to read the Bible in order to have something to meditate on, right? I mean, read like a psalm a day. Read five psalms a day. One person told me he reads five psalms a day and one proverb a day, and that's how he learns to meditate on the Word. Be in the Scriptures in the mornings, maybe in the evenings. Read the Bible. Give yourself something to chew on throughout the day and to meditate on. If you don't read the Bible, you're not going to have anything. And you'll fill your soul with lesser ideas. Do it deliberately. I was so encouraged by one garden member uh, who is in one of the busiest seasons of his life. And... uh, as he's telling me that his schedule for his day, he said, I basically have time in the evenings to eat dinner and to read the Bible before I go to bed. And I said, um, 
how long do you read the Bible for? And he said, about an hour. Wow, I was convicted myself. And really encouraged. <laughs> like, hold up. You mean you get home at like 7 o'clock and you make dinner and then you only have time to read and meditate on the Bible and pray for an hour before you? That's awesome. Like how often do we say, I am so busy in my life, I have no time to read the Bible. I have no time. We have to be deliberate about it. We have to be intentional. We have to understand the gold that we have here. Do it, make, make it a habit. Do it deliberately. Do it continually. As you're interacting with friends, meditate on the word. As you're engaging in issues and in problems, meditate on the word. As you're advising someone on what to do, meditate on the word. Give them scriptural advice. Do it continually. And then lastly, do it throughout the night. The hours where your soul is troubled, the hours of the night where you're restless and, and lying in bed, in those moments, turn your attention on to the promises of the scriptures and meditate on the word. I mean, if you can't sleep, you might as well meditate on the word. And there you find peace. There you find satisfaction. There you find real rest, even though you're, you're being tossed by these problems in life, even, even though the problems are still there. Meditate on the word day and night. I wonder if you do that. Do you, do you meditate on the word? Or do you just read it? Do you, do you read the word? Or do you just think you know it? The man who is blessed in life, the man who is truly happy, the man who is truly satisfied is one who not only reads, but he meditates constantly. We do this with other things. I was 18 years old when I met my wife. Um, she was in a singing group that was traveling through Ohio, where I lived, and my brother was part of the group, and they came and stayed in our uh, city, and I met this beautiful little girl named Jessica. And uh, that, that week, there was, there was something about my wife that, I don't know what it, soulmates maybe, do, we, do you believe in soulmates? You romantics. There was something about her that was just different for me. Something about her that seemed, if I can use the word supreme, that seemed above the rest. And I was, just, I was drawn to her. And, and I found myself, I was, I was in my last year of high school, a couple days of school left before I graduated, and I found myself like unable to concentrate because I was thinking about this girl and then when I was with her, I would try to get near her and try to talk to her. And literally, like at night, I would just lay in bed and just think about her. 
Because when we find something that, that captures us, when we find something that is supreme, that is above the rest, we think about it. We met, I mean, we do this with the people that we love, with the things that we love. And what, what the scriptures are saying to us is that above all else, above our, our romances, even above our spouses and above our children and above our careers, the many good things in life, and especially above the many sinful actions in life, we need to be valuing God and his instruction for us. And my, my point also is this. You don't meditate about something day and night that you don't enjoy. Like, if you don't enjoy the Bible, you're not going to meditate it, uh, day and night. If you don't enjoy seeking the face of God, then you're not going to think about him constantly. Satan has convinced us that the scriptures, that the instruction we find in this book is old school, is outdated, it's regressive, it's heavy, it's like a dictator, and, and we have to like somehow make our lives line up with this, and we, we tell people that actually believe that, that they're fundamentalists, or that they're... Look, that, that is a lie from the enemy. And it is for your destruction that you have bought into that lie, to believe that this is heavy, dic dictator sort of stuff. There is true, true joy, true happiness, true satisfaction is only found when we tap into the instruction of God who created us. What man needs then, what we need as humanity is not another drink, not another girl, not another job, not another city, not another house. What we need is the scriptures. What we need is the word of God to be informed by it and to, to live our lives according to the word of God. Now, my wife and I will be married 10 years this May, all right? Imagine I came home on our 10th anniversary, May 17th, 2013, and I had this beautiful bouquet of flowers. And I walked in the house, and her face brightens up, big smile across her face. And I go to hand her the flowers, and she goes to give me a hug, and I, and I pause, and I stop her, and I'm like, wait a second. I'm only doing this because we've been married for 10 years. And this is what I'm supposed to do. And then she gets upset. Like, what are you upset for? I got you flowers. She doesn't want the flowers. Right? The, I mean, the flowers are an expression of my joy to be with her. Right? She doesn't just want the flowers. And listen, that makes sense when we put it in the context of human relationships. But how often do we do that with God? We have no joy, we have no, no happiness, no satisfaction in him, yet we just try to obey. We just try to give him the right actions. I, I go to church, look what I did for you. I served, I helped the poor, look what I did for you. I bought you these flowers. 
Look, God doesn't need your flowers. He's not after just your actions alone. He's after your joy. He's after your happiness. He's after your complete satisfaction. But how do we do this? How do we find this this kind of happiness? Because many of you might quickly agree with me that you can't just make yourself enjoy the Bible. Maybe you've tried. I can't just make myself enjoy it. I, I, I have no longing to be in the scriptures. I have no desire to find and discover God's will and his instruction and to, and to walk in that, in that way. I have no joy there. How do we do it? How do we find this kind, of, this kind of happiness? John Calvin said this. He said, if God contains the fullness of good things in himself, so the fullness of all good things, if God contains that, in himself, then nothing beyond him is to be sought by those who want happiness. If everything good is contained in God, then there's nothing beyond God that is to be sought by those who want happiness. What this is saying is this. If you're somebody who wants true happiness, you want true fulfillment and satisfaction in life, then you must look no further than God himself. God is not after your reluctant duty. He's not after your flowers. He's not after your, just your actions just because you have to, just because you've been a Christian, so you have to do these things. God is after your joy. He's after your happiness. And God knows that only in him can there be satisfaction. Only in him can there be true joy and true happiness. And so he wants every bit of you so that you may be satisfied. Remember this word from last week, that word blessed, we translated that, oh, the happiness. Oh, how happy is the man. Oh, the the happiness of the man who who delights in the law, the, the happiness of the man of knowing that, that everything I did in the last year, everything I did in the last five years or the last 10 years, which was ugly and sinful and disgusting, all of that has been blotted out. Oh, the happiness of knowing that your greatest sins have been blotted out. You see, you know what what man really needs? We don't need another thing or another job or a better life. What we really need for satisfaction, what we really need is forgiveness. This weight of sin that we carry. This weight of failing to live out the instruction of God. What man really needs is forgiveness and fullness and new life and abundance. Oh, how happy is the man, it says. Oh, how happy is the man who delights in the law of God and in that law he meditates day and night. Have you got that blessedness? Do you have that happiness? Do you delight in this book? It 
If you do, no one can take this happiness from you. No one can take this satisfaction from you, this joy. The problems will continue to come. You will continue to be beat. But you will find a satisfaction that goes far beyond circumstances. But how do we do this? How do we do this? Because at the end of the day, we know that we fail. At the end of the day, we know that we don't live up to the instruction of God. At the end of the day, we know that we're constantly drawn back into the thinking of the flesh and the ways of the world and seeking happiness in places that cannot be found. And at the end of the day, we we know that we don't really enjoy the instruction of the Lord. We don't really enjoy it. How do we find it? It's through coming to this book and listening to its message, hearing it say, look, the reason you're unhappy is because you're following the advice of the world. The reason you're unhappy is because you're seeking happiness in places that ultimately cannot be found. Only in the pages of the scriptures can we find the instruction for life. And at the core of that instruction is this. It's that we did fail. That we indeed are sinners. And that we can't simply find happiness in doing all of the right actions. We can't find our satisfaction in being a good enough parent. We can't find our satisfaction in in, in being generous. We can't find our satisfaction in in doing enough good things. As a matter of fact, all of that in and of themselves, seeking satisfaction in those things, all of that becomes idolatry. At, At the center of the message of the book, of the Bible, at the center of our instructions, what we find is the story of Christ. The story that Christ came and fulfilled the law. He lived to perfection. And because of his life, we then are gifted his righteousness. And as he hung on that cross, our punishment was placed onto him. And as he rose from the dead, we have been given new life. And we are commanded to trust in his work, to repent of our sins, to say, God, I, I never can do enough to be happy. I can't follow it enough to find satisfaction and to trust then in the work of Christ to repent of our sins and to believe the gospel and when you do that you're given the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden you are a new creature and you have a love for this book for the instruction of God for the way of God Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, do you know this song? There is no greater thing. You are my all, you're the best, you're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. I pray this morning that you find true happiness in the face of Christ. I pray this morning that you can have the same delight that this man has in Psalm 1. 
that your delight may be in the law of the Lord. And on that law, may you meditate day and night. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you do move in our hearts, that you remind us of the gospel, that you mind us of the work that Christ has done on our behalf and the, our, our, the fact that our punishment was placed upon him on the cross and that through Christ we have forgiveness and we are reminded in Romans 8 that there is no condemnation for those who are, who are in Christ Jesus. And God, I pray that that, that realization that hope, that turning, that repentance, as we look to Christ, that that will then lead us to love the scriptures, that it will lead us to love your instructions, to long for your instructions, to meditate on your instructions and your promises day and night. God, we don't want to just give you our flowers. We don't want to just give you our vain service and our actions, but we want to give you our joy. And we want to be completely satisfied in you. Bring that about in us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.